Good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to see you this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn it open or turn it on to the book of 1 John. That's where we're going to be in our time together this morning. And while you are turning there, I would like to ask a question. If you are a mom or a grandma or an aunt or someone else who labored very hard to make Christmas happen this year, please raise your hand very high. I'd like to see it. I'd like to see it. All the moms, all the grandmas, if you cooked, if you labored, if you worked, raise it up. And thank you. We all recognize that while everybody says Santa is the Christmas magic, it is really moms because without you, holidays wouldn't happen. You labor very hard, you work tirelessly, and oftentimes you get kids fighting instead of saying thank you. But you brought joy to all of your families this Christmas season. We were all able to come together and eat good food and hang out. Kids got the stuff they wanted for Christmas because of you. You're awesome. And that joy that you brought to your families, that, that ability to just have community with each other, is something I was thinking about this week as I was preparing because it's the same kind of joy that we all have and that God wants us to have in our relationship with him. And so it made me think of First John as I was reading it this morning. You see, John, the apostle, the one who Jesus loved, he wrote the gospel of John, wrote this letter, and he wrote it to churches, probably to churches in Ephesus, so think the letter to Ephesians that Paul wrote. And he wrote it to them at a time where they were struggling because people had left the church, and it's most likely that they left not on very good terms. They were denying that Jesus was Lord. They were denying that he's the Savior of the world and the Son of God. And they didn't just leave quietly, but they left and then generated persecution and hostility to the church who was remaining faithful to Christ. So John writes this letter to both help correct the confusion that is facing the church as they think through who is Jesus, what does it mean to have a relationship with him, and he writes also to encourage the believers who are staying true. And I think that this letter has significance for us because we're really kind of in the same boat as that church. We live in a culture that has lots of confusion about who Jesus is and what it means to have a relationship with him. And oftentimes, if you hold to the Jesus who is real, as he reveals himself in his word, you face persecution and struggle and challenge. People don't tend to like us very much. And so I think this letter has lots of significance for us this morning, just as much as it had for the church when it was written originally by John. So really this morning, the emphasis that I want us to focus on, I want you to have fellowship with God and then to live in light of the joy that that fellowship brings. So I want you to have fellowship with God and live in light of the joy that fellowship brings. Which raises the question, if I'm supposed to have fellowship with God, how do I get there? Well, I'm glad you asked, because John answers that for us. And so we turn our attention then to 1 John. And starting in verse 1, the apostle writes this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and we have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. 
the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are witnesses to these things, and we are witnessing to them so that our joy may be complete. And so, as any good preacher does, John writes a very long sentence that has the main thrust at the very end. The, the main kind of verb and the point of the sentence is the first three verses, and it's that word proclaim, which means to tell you something, but it's more than just like quickly sending a text to tell your wife when you're going to be home for dinner. It's this idea of a grand announcement, kind of like a king or a queen in a royal court having something announced. I was actually thinking about that kind of royalty, and I was thinking about how the news has been super full of Prince Harry being engaged to uh, the actress that he just got engaged to, and how that's just been all over the news, and I kind of pictured all of the people at the, the palace there in, in London just proclaiming and, and announcing with just great joy, like, hey, everybody needs to know. For some reason, my Twitter feed thinks I need to know for the 18th time that Harry is engaged, right? There's this big proclamation and John's announcing something huge to us. And he's announcing it for the purpose that we can have fellowship with God. And when we think of fellowship, we think of community. As good Baptists, we think of going to a fellowship hall and eating lots of food. Fun fact, that's one of the reasons I'm a Southern Baptist is because of all of the free food that preachers get. It's awesome. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you guys know. Come to a family business meeting. They're wonderful. Huge fan of all of the pie. And we think of that as fellowship, which it is. But John wants us to have a bigger picture of fellowship, and so he's proclaiming to us life. In fact, what we're going to see is he's proclaiming God opening up his own life and love to us. So what we see John proclaiming how is that fellowship, and how do we get it? Well, he talks to us about that in the very beginning of his long sentence. What is it that he is proclaiming? He's proclaiming that which was from the beginning. Okay, cool, John. Thank you. What is from the beginning? What is that? Very nondescriptive there. Well, he goes on to talk about it. It's what he heard with his ears, just like you can hear the words coming out of my mouth right now. It's what he saw with his eyes, just like I can see you right now. It's what he looked upon, so more than just seeing, he, he gazed at it, dwelled on it, and he let his gaze change what was going on on the inside of his heart, and then he touched it. And what is it that he looked and he heard and he touched? Well, it's concerning the word of life, which is interesting, right? Because when you think about life, most of the time you think about a lot of different things. It's kind of hard. It's intangible, really. It's kind of hard. A, a plant that is in full bloom has life. A puppy has life. And your kid, when they're running around a room screaming, has lots and lots of life. When you're at home for Christmas, the room, when it's full of conversation, is lively. So how in the world is it that John saw and heard and touched life? Like, that doesn't make sense. 
But what John is telling us is that this is something physical. He uses these sensory words, you know, that talk about your senses, to let you know that life is more than just an out here thing. It's, it's a with you thing. And that specifically, it's eternal life that was made manifest to us. Manifest being that it's revealed, it's made known, which is what we just celebrated last week at Christmas. What John is telling us is that life has been brought to us. It's what Mike read in the pastoral prayer time from the Gospel of John, that Jesus himself is life. And the reason we can see and look and touch and hear life is because life has been shown to us or made manifest to us in the person of Jesus, who isn't just life the way your kid has life or the way a plant has life, but is eternal life. Life without a beginning, life without an end, always existing. And as John proclaims that to us, he says, I testify and I proclaim, testify, thinking of a a witness who's on stand in a courtroom under oath, proclaiming nothing but the truth. I'm telling you something that's so true. And why is he doing that? He's doing that because he wants us to have fellowship. In verse 3, he says, that which we have seen and heard, so Jesus himself, life himself, what we have seen and heard, we also proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And us is John talking about all of the apostles who saw and heard and touched Jesus. Think of it kind of almost like a circle where Jesus is kind of grabbing the apostles by the arms and one of the apostles, John, is sticking his hand out to us, drawing us into this fellowship with him. That fellowship is awesome. I mean, I think John's probably a cool guy. I'm excited to meet him when I get to heaven. But why is it that he wants us to have fellowship with him? Well, beyond just being a cool guy, he wants us to have fellowship with him because, indeed, his fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, who is life. So what John is doing is he's saying, hey, come, come listen to the message I'm proclaiming to you, which is eternal life, because I want you to have fellowship with me, and my fellowship is with life itself. I want you to have life. Won't you come? And so what we see is that John is saying to have fellowship with God is to come and believe in Jesus, believe in the message that has been proclaimed. So you want to have fellowship with God, which is the main point of why we're here this morning? Then believe in Jesus. That's what John is telling us to do. And he's writing this to us. Verse 4 says, so that our joy may be complete. And what he's going to do is he's going to continue to tell us why it is that our joy is complete in that fellowship. Because believing in Jesus isn't just like, hey, there's a cool person I want you to meet, have a conversation at that office Christmas party, and then don't talk to them again until the next office Christmas party when you're glad it's them and not the awkward coworker you avoid the rest of the week anyway, and whatnot. It is Jesus bringing you into the best relationship possible. So John then goes on to say in verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim it to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so what we see here is that to have fellowship with God means to believe in Jesus, 
and to have fellowship with God is to walk in the light. Why is that? Well, the message that John has seen and John has heard and he's proclaiming to us and is that God is light and in him is no darkness. And here's a really good place, I think, that teaches us how to read the scriptures. Because as confusing as it is, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get confused when I read the Bible. I'm like, I know this is supposed to make sense, but I don't know what it said, honestly. Sometimes, I'm sure Chase can relate as he's been studying for the series in Romans. Sometimes it's just a little tricky to understand what's being said. But God wants us to understand. I bring that up because multiple times John keeps saying these words of what he's seen, what he's heard, what he's proclaimed. And this message that God is light and in him is no darkness, these are words that should make us think. Make us think specifically about the gospel that John wrote and the passage that Mike read for us. You see, when the authors of the Bible want to make a particular point, they use the same words over and over again because we learn best when we're told things over and over again. I mean, I can think about being a kid if you know me, you know I'm a little fidgety sometimes. And when I was a little kid, I liked to touch things. I don't know if any of you have kids who like to touch things. Uh, I would go into stores with my mom, and like nice stores, like boutique kind of stores, and I was drawn to shiny, glittery objects. And I would want to touch them, and no, Ethan, hands in your pockets. Yes, ma'am. But then I, I would go touch it again at the next door. No, Ethan, hands in your pockets. It got to be this phrase. And the other day, I was actually Christmas shopping, my mom was out with me. I wanted to make sure I got my girlfriend the right present. And we walked into a boutique, lots of shiny things. And immediately, without even having to be told, my hands were in my pockets. <laughs> and Hannah looked at me and goes, Ethan, why are your hands in your pockets? You need to, like, crab stuff so you can figure out what to buy Nicole. And I said, Hannah, this is a hands-in-your-pocket store. Your hands need to be in your pockets, too. <laughs> like, when you're told things over and over and over again, it just, you get it. And that's the same thing that's happening here in the Bible, that John saw it, and he heard it, and he proclaimed it. What he wants you to do is think about other places where he's written about who Jesus is. And I think that's a really helpful thing for us to think about as we read the Bible the rest of the week, the rest of our lives, is that we're supposed to read it slowly. We're supposed to read it and let it sink in to our hearts and pick up on the themes. Because what John's doing is he's saying God is light, which we just read that God is light in the gospel of John and that that light was the life of men, which is how we understand what John is saying. Because when you think about it, God is light. Okay, cool. I don't know about you. The first time I read that, I had just seen the trailer for the new Star Wars movie as I was preparing, and I thought, okay, God is light. I need light side of the force. Like, what's going on here? What does it mean that God is light? There's a light bulb in my room. I'm a little confused. But as I was thinking about it, John's gospel came to my mind because it's a theme that John uses all the time to talk about who God is. God being light is actually a character trait of who he is. And it means certainly something like he's morally pure. He's ethically awesome. 
and good. I mean, you think about light, you think of something that's pure, it's bright and glowing. But really, when you read the Gospel of John and you read the rest of this letter, what John is doing is he's talking to us about the fact that God is life. That, that what it means that God is light is that there is life inside of him. That his very nature is life. It's what we read in the first few verses, that God is eternal life. And that no darkness being in him at all, thinking back to John 1, means that there's no death. There's no s struggle. There's no pain. There's no bad things that come with death at all. And as a challenge to us as we read the scriptures, is that how we're reading? I would love to tell you it's how I read it all the time. Unfortunately, it's not always the case. I'm guilty of reading it quickly and checking off my Bible reading app and moving on. But the Lord would have us slow down and think about it and chew on it, meditate on what he's saying so that as we read, we pick up these themes because the whole story is just one big story that's pointing us to Jesus, pointing us to this message that God is light and in him there's no darkness. And that light is the life of man is pretty wonderful, really. And so then, if God is light and there's no darkness in him, the question becomes, how do I make sure I'm in the light? Well, certainly, as we just talked about, it means believing in Jesus, but thankfully, John wants us to know, and so he's going to go ahead and answer that question for us. And starting in verse 6, John says this, if we say we have fellowship with him with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so then John answers for us what it is that God is light, what it means to have fellowship with him, is to believe in his son Jesus, specifically as he's revealed to us in his word. Remember John's writing to clarify uh, misconceptions about the nature of Jesus. And then we know that our belief is true belief in Jesus and not just some kind of academic ascent in our heads without a heart change. We know that it's true belief if we walk in the light. And what does that mean to walk in the light as he is in the light? Well, John picks up and continues to use this light versus dark analogy. So remember, light is life and dark is death. And to walk in the darkness or to be in death means that you are deceiving yourself and are a liar. He says so in verse 7. He says, if, or in verse 6, if we have fellowship, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. Verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word isn't in us. 
So specifically, walking in darkness means that we lie. And what is the lie that we tell? Well, the lie that we tell is that we don't have sin. Now, sin is a word that you find all throughout the Bible, and if you've been at church for more than like 20 seconds, you've probably heard it about 30 times. And it simply means rebellion. You see, God being light, in addition to being life, means that he is perfect, and he's holy, which just means he's set apart, he's above us, and he is that way because he is eternal life. We aren't eternal. We aren't God. He's perfect, and he's holy, and there's nothing wrong with him, and there's no issues, and there's no bad thing. And the problem that you and I have is that he created us because he's the creator of everything, but we said, yeah, you know, you made me, but I'm not going to do it your way. Um, no, thank you. going to go my own direction. Similar to the time I told my mom I was going to take my hands out of my pockets, and I broke a very expensive object and didn't have any allowance money for like a year because I had to pay it all back. It's that similar kind of thing. We're going our own way, and when I went my own way, broke an expensive thing. But the problem for us is that our rebellion against God gives us this heart that's bad that we're born with, by the way, and out of that heart, we just do all kinds of junk. We lie, we cheat, we steal, we're mean to people. Any kind of bad thing in the world you can think of, or selfishness, all things, it, it comes out of that, that heart. And the Bible says the consequence for that is death. Not just like, oh, I stopped existing, but punishment, God's eternal wrath on you. So, not fun. But you're thinking to yourself, maybe, I thought this to myself, well, God's light, that means there's no sin, so wouldn't it be a good thing for me to say, I don't have sin? If God doesn't have sin, then I should probably not have sin, and then I can be with him, and I don't have to face his wrath. That'd be really cool, right? It's kind of what I thought. So why is it a problem that saying, hey man, I don't have sin, is a lie, and that means the truth isn't in you. You see, the problem is, is that that's not what God says about us. God says about us, no, 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 no. You do have sin. You have a lot of it. Your heart is really, really awful, actually. And on the day that you think you're the best, I promise you you're the worst. And if you come to me and you tell me, hey, I don't have any sin, then you're a liar. Because what I know is that your heart on your best day does not match up to my character, which enter death and punishment and judgment and hell for us. Mm, all right. Glad you guys came this morning. I hope you have a lot of joy. No, we're not going to end there because there's no joy there. So that's walking in darkness. That's walking in death. But thankfully, John doesn't leave us there. He does give us joy. And what is the joy that John presents to us? He says this in verse 7. If we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us 
from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what we see about walking in the light is that it's actually like the exact opposite of what we would think. We would think, oh, I need to come and say I don't have sin, which best I can tell is what the people who were persecuting the church that John originally wrote this letter to, they were kind of talking like that as if they didn't have sin. But you see, what John tells us to do, and ultimately because this is Jesus' word, what Jesus is telling us to do is verse 9, confess our sin. And if we confess, he's telling us he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's, he's saying what you need to do is you need to come and you need to admit that your heart is a rebel's heart and you disobey everything I've ever told you to do and the only thing that earns you is lots of death and judgment. So we have to come and do. And as I was thinking about this, this idea of saying we don't have sin, something kind of stood out to me. It stood out to me that the people who were originally in this church that John wrote the letter to who had left and were most likely saying that they didn't have sin, they, they were saying, hey, we don't have sin. We don't have a rebel's heart. And it made me think, you know, that's actually a lot like the culture you and I live in. We live in a culture that, sure, right, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has those days. Everybody is a little bit of a human. You know, sometimes you fail. Sometimes you mess up. Oh, you know, I stubbed my toe. I said a word I shouldn't have. I got a little hangry because it had been too long since I ate and snapped at my, my kid. But, you know, it was just a mistake. But I'm not that bad of a person, right? I mean, there's a, there's a thousand other people out there that are worse than me. I'm, I'm a good person. And I feel like that's a culture that we, we were surrounded by. Everybody knows, because if you're a human in, with other humans for more than about a minute, you know that we all have some stuff going on that's not good. But we would like to just chalk it up to, ah, I made a mistake, it's not that big of a deal. The end of the day, someone out there is worse, and I'm a good person. But that is a lie. And I think it's a lie that's very easy for us to get stuck in. I think it's a lie that's easy for me to get stuck in. No, my, my stuff's really not that big of a deal. If I'm selfish, it's really not that big of a deal. If I say something mean to Anna and Emma or make them cry, not that I've ever done that, it's not, I mean, you know, okay, I shouldn't do it again. Not a huge deal. I'm driving in traffic, and I cut someone off, or someone cuts me off, and I tell him who he is. You know, probably shouldn't do that when my kids are in the car, but oh well, no big deal. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's a trap we get stuck in. Kind of writing things off is not a big deal. But what the Bible is telling us is that it's a gigantic deal. It's the biggest deal, actually. And if you don't come before God and confess that your heart is a mess, 
and that you're a rebel. You're in the darkness. You're a liar. The truth of God's not in you. And so for you and me, that puts us all in this spot where what we need to do is come before God and confess. Talk to him. Confess. I I kind of think about a criminal in a courtroom who knows he's guilty and knows there's no way he's going to convince the jury otherwise, and so he confesses to the crime. That's what you and I need to do because we are criminals who have disobeyed God. But you know what's really, 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 really cool? Like, really cool? Is that even though we have this problem, God's love is greater. What does he say he's going to do? When we confess, he doesn't say, oh, you confessed, death sentence. Oh, you confessed, life in jail. Oh, you confessed, get out of my sight. I hate you. I never want to see you again. If we confess our sins, he, Jesus Christ, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, do you let that, I mean, let that sink into your head, into your heart. Don't just read it. I'm guilty of that. You probably are too, where we just read the Bible quickly and don't really let the truth, like, get into our bones. But God wants it in your bones. That's the point of reading it. What's, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You know what that means? He knows how bad we are. I mean, I really would never want any of you to see the inside of what's going on in my mind most of the time. My family can tell you I'm not perfect, but even them, I really, I wouldn't want them to see what's going on because of how bad I know my heart is, and you're all, I'm sure, the same way. But Jesus came, and, and get this, when John's talking about the life, the eternal life that was made manifest to us, eternal life himself came to this earth and was born. That's what we just celebrated at Christmas. But the whole point of Christmas is Easter because he lived perfectly. He didn't have a bad heart, so he didn't do bad things. No sin, no rebellion. He was never mean to his siblings. Wow, what a pro. He never, he never said anything mean to anyone. He didn't drive cars, you know, but when someone, like, put their donkey in front of him in the road, like, never yelled at him. Never did anything wrong. And so, therefore, he's the only person who doesn't actually deserve to die. And he's the, but he did. With the student ministry in Sunday school right now, we're talking about the theme of atonement. So, students, this is where this, like, clicks. He came and he, the, the author of life let himself be arrested by an army who, because he's the author of life, he was literally sustaining the life of the soldiers who arrested him. Like, the soldiers that arrested him put chains on him because he said, you can do that. And if he had said, you can't do that, they would have ceased to exist in that very moment. And he was put on trial unfairly, accused of all kinds of things he didn't do, beaten, like, bad, He was a very, I mean, he had to have been a strong guy because 
it would have killed any one of us to have gone through physically what he went through before the cross. And then he hung there, having nails driven through his body. And the worst part of that isn't all of the physical stuff, which is terrible. It's that the wrath he has for our sin, for, for, for me, I mean, get it for you. He took on himself. He took all of that judgment on himself, and he did it because he loves you. I mean, when he was up there, he wasn't just like in general thinking, ouch, this hurts. He was sitting there thinking, Joshua, I love you. He was up there thinking, Becky, I love you. He was up there thinking, Chase, I know who you are, and I know what you've done, but I'm taking this because I care about you. He was up there. He was up there thinking, Caitlin, you're mine, and I know you, and I love you. Kimber, you're my daughter, and even though you deserve to die, I'm going to take your punishment so that you can have life. He was up there thinking, Ethan, I love you, and you are a child of darkness, and you deserve hell. But I'm going to take it for you. And then he died. The eternal life, the author of everything, the reason that the soldiers who drove nails into his hands had the strength to do it was because he gave them the energy to do it. And he died. Let that sink into your mind. Eternal life died. But because he's eternal life, you know what he did? He came back to life because you cannot keep eternal life in the grave. He rose, and death no longer has a claim over anyone who confesses their sins. It is that Jesus who is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, everything you've ever done, Jesus is capable of forgiving you. And to walk in the light simply means to tell him you need him, to come up to him and say, Jesus, I'm a wreck, and my heart is this really bad place that nobody wants to go, and I'm going to die, and rightly so, if you don't do something about it. But if you confess that to him, he wants to save you. He wants to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And not just for a second, not just for a minute, not just a, okay, you're clean, but you better not mess up again. For the rest of your life, anytime you fail, Jesus' blood covers you and the death penalty from God's not on your head anymore. That's what John's telling us. That's what it means to have fellowship with God, is to live in light of the joy that comes from knowing your rebellion is forgiven. And I just want to challenge us this morning, do we think about that? I'm guilty of not thinking about it enough, I can tell you that. It's supposed to sink in. I get stuck. I don't know about you. I've been a Christian long enough that I'm pretty comfortable with the idea that my salvation, my like being forgiven, isn't something I earned. It's not something I got there and I did. 
But I tell you what I get stuck in all the time is this trap that says, now that I'm here, I better start doing good things. Otherwise, I don't know. God might not love me quite as much anymore. And if I'm not perfect, if everything in my life isn't together, God might not be cool with me. I don't know. Maybe you struggle with that. I know I do. But what he's saying is, I love you no matter what. And you have joy. Think about that. If you really let it sink in, it, it, it changes everything in your life. You cannot live the same anymore after you've been brought into fellowship with God because you understand what life and love really is. You look at the world through a different lens and you have joy no matter what. Life's still really hard, and most of the time it stinks. And to be honest, I'm pretty sure that being a Christian just makes it harder. But we have joy because eternal life himself loves us and fills us and has welcomed us home. It's the best Christmas dinner ever, and it won't ever stop. All of the sudden, when we focus on the joy that comes through fellowship with God, when I, I look at this life, it's changed. When I think about what I've been forgiven of, my attitude towards the guy that cuts me off in traffic is different. When I think about what I've been forgiven of, my attitude towards one of the girls, when they do something silly, is different. My attitude towards people at work is different when they, you know, don't do what I said because I'm the boss, as if I am the boss. Come on. My attitude changes, and, and yours should too. And the beauty of it is that we don't have to do anything. God just wants that to soak in. And it, it, it changes the way we live. But it, it just, just soaks. We don't have to do. It's like we are a part of something so incredible. God just wants it to soak in and change everything about you. And as you go into the new year, think about that. Think about how much joy you have. I have no idea what's going to happen to me this year. Literally, I, actually, I have no idea. And I don't know what's going to happen to any of you this year. I, I couldn't tell you. I hope it's great things. Hopefully some of you have kids or get married or have great jobs or get a raise. But I can't promise any of those things happening. It could be a really, really terrible, hard year. I don't, I don't know. But what I do know is that you have joy because Jesus has saved you. And your joy doesn't come from a job or a promotion or a kid or a marriage. Those things bring joy, but they're, they're little shadows that point straight back to Jesus. He's the source of our joy. Just let that soak in. But if you have not believed in Jesus, like this, this idea of fellowship with God, if you don't have it, if you, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, if you don't walk in the light, I want you to also understand something. You have no joy at all. You have no reason 
to walk out of this room with anything but fear. Because currently, without Christ, the wrath of God sits squarely on your head. Your sins aren't forgiven and they're not cleansed. And in your current state, you are up the biggest creek with a hole in the boat and no paddle. Because God has judgment for you. There's no love and there's no joy and you cannot have a smile on your face going into 2018 at all. You should be scared because you walk into 2018 with the wrath of the eternal God on your head. But right now, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and he's just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You don't have to walk out of the door without that joy. You can leave right now with all of the joy I just talked about because Jesus loves you and he wants to save you. So if you don't know him, that needs to change today. Come talk to me after the service. I'd love to talk to you about it. Anybody else who is here and has fellowship with Jesus would love to talk to you about it. And if you are a Christian, the application for today is just think about Jesus. There's no seven steps to make your life better. Those don't work anyway. Sorry. If you have that book on your reading list, scratch it off. Just add First John. Read that a couple times. It'll be better for you anyway. Just focus on Jesus. Focus on the joy and the life that he brings because he loves you. I think about the words from one of my favorite hymns as I, I think and dwell on the joy of having fellowship with God. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and a perfect plea. A great high priest who ever lives and pleads for me. And when Satan tempts me to despair, and he tells me of all of the guilt within him, believe me, there's a lot of it. Upwards I look, and I see him there. Made an end to all my sin. Will you look to Jesus with me this upcoming year? Will you? I'm going to pray and invite the band to come back up. And as I do, I just want that question to soak into your head. Do you have joy in Jesus because that's where life is? Father, I love you. Thank you so much for the joy that we have in you through Jesus. I pray that you would just do a mighty work in our hearts, that we would love you and focus on you and think about who you are, and that the joy you bring to us through your Son would change everything about our lives. And Lord, I pray that if there are people in the room who do not know you, I ask that you would not let them leave this room without coming into the joy of fellowship with you through your son, Jesus. I praise you that you are gracious to us beyond measure. 
And I pray that all things would be done according to your will by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. It's in his name I pray. Amen.